Welcome to episode 120 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined as always by my dear friend, Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and yourself? Good. So normally, as people know, um, who, who listen to No Challenges Remaining for a while, after Cincinnati every year, we do a road show um, from the road uh, somewhere between Cincinnati, uh, sorry, somewhere between Mason, Ohio, and Washington, D.C., on our way towards the U.S. Open. This time, we're taking it a little bit more stationary, still in the car, but we are sitting in the parking lot in Mason, Ohio, outside the Regal Cinemas 16, because, Courtney, you're not driving back. I'm not driving back. Originally, the plan was to drive back with Ben, but I actually need to be in New York uh, early Tuesday morning, so I'm actually flying directly to New York mm-hmm. from here, so this is our uh, our change. You're such a jet setter in your WTA life. Such a jet setter. There's so many things to do. Yeah, no, so all of the... Basically, the pre-tournament stuff and all that that's going to be uh, in full force starting, I think, Tuesday um, is kicking off, so I need to be there. So, um, yeah, but we are here in front of the Regal Cinema because I need to keep my streak of um, watching every single one of Kristen Stewart's movies intact. For those who don't know, I have seen all of Kristen Stewart's movies and all of Katherine Hepburn's movies. That's pretty much the... uh, universe catalog that I have uh, attached myself to. So, yeah, we're going to go see American Ultra in about an hour. So, yeah. Before we look ahead to that, which we'll just look at on the screen, we don't need to talk too much about American Ultra, (laughs) but it sounds like a cool premise. Let's talk about Cincinnati. Sure. Western and Southern Open. We did our live show from Premises, which was great. Thank you guys for anyone who came to that. And everybody, Pete Holterman, everybody else helped set it up. Uh, Victoria Azarenka for showing up. If you haven't listened to episode 119, you should because I thought Vika yeah. was really, really good and she was game for it. And you know, you never know kind of what's going to happen when you bring a player out there and you kind of shove a phone in their face and a recorder and in front of a bunch of fans. But um, she was awesome, so please do have a listen, not for us, but for Vika because uh, she should be rewarded for her effort. And also listen to other listeners because we had yes, it, was, it was right. cool to have right. like audience participation for the first time in a meaningful way. So that was cool. We'll do something, I think. We'll do it again. Yeah, for sure. I would be totally game to do it again. Yeah, the actual tennis that happened, let's start Let's start at the finals, work our way backwards, I guess. Roger beat Novak. That wasn't unexpected, actually. We both picked, we both were talking, we both picked Roger before the final happened, because uh, Roger was amazing this week. He really was, and it was one of those things, I think maybe you mentioned it, Ben, where we were like, oh, he always peaks for, like, too early. <laughs> oh my gosh, like, so Roger, the second straight year, went Cincinnati, which, fine, good for you, Roger. Uh, it's like when he peaked at uh, Wimbledon in the semifinal, like, just save it. I mean, it's great seeing him play this well. I hope he can translate it at the U.S. Open. I think he can. I mean, I've, th- I've said before, I think his chances of winning in New York are just as good as they are at Wimbledon. You have I always really, said this, yeah. I really do think that. Um, even if he hasn't made a final since '09, which is l- a longer drought than any other slam for him, because uh, he has made all the other three since then. But yeah, no, I think that he's playing so well. The thing I want to zone in on him quickly is this serve return thing he does, where he comes running into like almost a service line to return. It's like this crazy ambush kamikaze bum rush thing. It was fun writing about because you have to use all sorts of words you don't usually get to use. <laughs> um, and it was cool, and it was just such a novelty 
thing that I, I did with great success in several video games <laughs> before. I do watch you because Ben does play a uh, video game on his computer. Tennis that elbow. is a Tennis elbow. And I've occasionally peeked over his shoulder as he plays it, and he does literally do this all the time. Yeah, he just I used rushes to, the serve. I used to have a character who was five foot one. The newest update of it that came out a few months ago made it much harder for that play to work, the new physics, whatever. But, yeah, if you have a character who's really short and a low strike zone, they can stand pretty close to that service line and slice it back. Anyway, uh, Baby Mario and Mario Tennis can also do it, too, as Joey Hanf was saying. That's totally true. Get a short player, even like Toad. Anyway, it's a video game thing with not real physics. But Roger Federer made it work, and he made it work against some of the best servers in the game. Yeah. That was the thing that really stunned me. The first time I saw him do it, I didn't watch his match against Batista Goop, but the first time I saw him do it was against Kevin Anderson. Like and Kevin Anderson, he beat six one six one, which is not a score Incredible. line. I mean, which anybody that should serve, be dumping on. I Kevin mean, yeah, Anderson. and he did it against Feliciano Lopez as well, who's also, also a great, a great server. server. You know, I mean, I think I tweeted this before. I do wonder whether or not he's able to do this at the U.S. Open because Cincinnati, the courts themselves, I think, are not particularly um, that much faster. But the balls are much lighter here. And, They're really and, hard. Yeah, and all the players do mention this, that, you know, the change between the Rogers Cup to Cincinnati for both the men and the women is a pretty tough one um, because the conditions are a bit slower up in Canada. And then they come here and the ball's just really flying. Um, so, you know, that does seemingly benefit him, although maybe not. Maybe that means that the serve is... Maybe that gives him a split second more to kind of, like, read the bounce. I don't know, but... I would think it actually make it harder, right? If the ball's I think, faster... I think that... Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I I was just kind of yeah. uh, wondering out loud. I hadn't really completely thought it through. But, um, you know, but it's fun. Like, the, the thing that I actually really enjoyed about this play was it's just like, look, we all watched a lot of tennis. So and we kind of, you, you almost get highway hypnosis with totally. respect to tennis. Like, you just are used to seeing the same thing over and over and over again. And you feel like, even though there are hot shots and great points, that you've kind of seen everything before. And so this was, like, really cool to see. And I've seen it before, like, in my old apartment in San Francisco, there was a set of courts at Dolores Park, which everybody calls the hipster tennis courts. But um, on the weekends, you had, um, like, tennis pros out there giving lessons that you could sign up on via Craigslist. And I remember that the guy that I was taking tennis lessons from at the time, I was waiting to, like, get my court time. And this was what he was, like, working on with, like, the guy that he was, like, playing with was, like, doing this precisely, which was bum-rushing. And basically, it's the return and volley. It's it's not a serve and volley. It's a return like and volley. Chip and charge. We've had before. Yeah, yeah, chip and charge. But it's it's. But I mean, this for was, Roger to do extreme. it, this was just amazing because when you think about the physics of what's going on there, okay, the ball. Okay, you're basically trying to pick up a half volley. Yeah. At at 120 something miles an hour sometimes, and although he was doing it off second serve, so maybe yeah. closer to 100 to 115. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing about the half volley is that you're trying to push it deep because you don't, because the risk is that you're just going to pop it up and leave a short ball yeah. and you're just going to get pegged. Um, but, uh, but Roger did an incredible job and the one that he hit against, uh, Kevin Anderson was incredible because it was, a uh, off of the, the, off of the forehand and he weirdly scooped it, uh, cross court. It was, it was great. And it was just fun. It was like a nice little curve ball and it made you pay attention to second serve because you're like, okay. You know, Novak missed the first serve. I wonder if Roger's going to do it now. Like, you know, so it, it kind of added a little extra bit of intrigue, and I enjoyed that. This is episode 120 of the show. I can't remember us ever getting as excited about a tactical thing. Yeah, that's like, seriously. True. We are not we, your tactical podcast, No, we're not. <laughs> Which shows, I think, how cool this was. And Novak seemed annoyed by it afterwards. I didn't hear anybody else. I guess Murray 
must have been asked about it, but I don't remember. But Novak, I asked him about it, and he essentially said, like, it's like, well, he's always aggressive, and I don't want to comment. He was got weirdly, like, no comment about it. That's very weird. It was strange. And so maybe he thinks that it's, like, offensive or unsport. I don't know what Novak was thinking. But it was strange, and it was cool that Roger won Novak this. Novak came in pretty quickly after Preston. Yeah, Novak was, and been... Novak was going again for the whole uh, Grandmaster, Golden. I don't really don't like Golden Masters, because there's nothing golden. Golden means Olympics yeah, in these parlance, yeah. so I don't like that. Whatever right, you want to call it, the Grandmasters, the Jokimon. I was telling like gotta catch them all. The gotta catch them all. I like Jokimon. I really like that. I, you see my little, I made a little Twitter no, graphic. I didn't oh, see that. you would like oh, it. Oh, that's pretty good. That's how I spent the first set with gotta catch up a, them all. A little gotta catch them all graphic, and I was telling people that if they if he had done it, I was going to encourage people to make Pokemon, you know, characters based on like each um, Masters each event. Each Masters. That's it would have been good. pretty. It would have been a pretty cool design project for that one three-way Venn diagram art Pokemon tennis fan. Will he there. ever catch, will, will Joker ever get the, the Joker It's the same thing I say with the French, like he has to, right? Because like he keeps putting himself yeah. in these finals. This was his fifth Cincinnati final. Like this is not a tournament he's bad at on any level. Yeah. He, okay, when he first got to be one away, which is in 2013 when he won Monte Carlo for the first time when Rafa finally didn't win it, um, he then crashed out that year in the quarters to Isner. And then last year he really flammed out against Robredo in the fourth round, or the third round, I think, the first seeded player he played. And so that one, that's when it looked like maybe this was in his head a little bit. This time he was totally fine and just got beaten by a better player today. Uh, and Roger was so good. Ro- Novak was fine. Novak, like the French, I think he'll win both. I think he will. He'll get his Jokimon, yeah. um, which I guess would include the slams too, the grand Jokimon. Uh, yeah, no, I think he'll do it. And I think it's, I, I think it's, I don't know, with how the top guys all hog these tournaments... I think it's a little surprising that it hasn't happened. Like, the other one, the people who, uh, Novak, sorry, Novak has eight of the nine. Roger has seven. He's missing Rome and Monte Carlo, which both makes sense that he'd be missing them because Novak, dom- uh, sorry, Rafa dominates those. And Novak's done well, and Roger didn't play Monte Carlo a few times. Whatever. Um, but he's made finals both a few times. Rafa is the one, Rafa and Bercy, he's never come anywhere near close to winning. So that's yeah. the one that seems like the longest shot of the group. Um, and I don't think Ralph is going to win Bercy. I can say that with relative confidence. I don't think that's happening for him in his career. Fair enough. He's just not going to prioritize that tournament. Yeah. He hasn't in the past, and I don't think he will. And Murray has a lot to go. Yeah. And then nobody else was close. Someone, I made this little, like, emoji graphic thing of the who had won which, mm-hmm. and someone's coming back like, this is for my fave. And he hadn't won any. And I was like, that could be so many people. Yeah. Because some people are not on the board. And this, nope. So that's what makes it surprising, I think. With the hoarding of Masters tournaments that we haven't had anybody do it. But I guess it's also still super hard. But I think it would be really cool if Novak did it. I was ready for him to do it and for it to be a cool thing. Yeah, I'm definitely ready for him to do it. I mean, I think that he absolutely does, deserves it. And especially the clip with which he's been winning Masters titles. Like, you just kind of are like, let's just put a cherry on top. And let, let's let ha- give like not give this to you, obviously. I don't mean it like charity. But it, it, it is a, a, a milestone that you feel like Novak Djokovic deserves. And it's what I said in my story for the Times, I think, today, just about it. It would have been cool for him to, like, finally get his own unique yeah. claim. Yeah. And he doesn't have one right now. He really, I mean, you could say, oh, all these Australians, but that's not really anything. Uh, yeah, he d- needs, I think, some sort of unique calling card. And it's a great calling card for him because it, it does, like I said, like, really emphasize his consistency. Yeah. His ability, because you know, we talk a lot about we talk a lot about Novak and kind of not his futility. That's too much. Of, that's too big of a word. But his struggles at at majors and in finals. I mean, you would expect that 
for him that he would have won more than he actually has. It's hard, it's hard to say someone with nine majors is an underachiever, I know. but he's almost close. I mean that as a compliment, Novak. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, with respect to the Masters and how great he is, and it's such a it's such a great record on top of all that, and especially with his success at the Masters, because, like I kind of alluded to last week, winning a Masters is tough. Really because tough. Because it's best of three. The margins are very, very slim. So, to, I mean, you can... You know, and Alexander Dolgopolov can pull off wins in a best of three situation, but best of five, probably not. And so in that way, like you kind of feel like, you know, Novak and the way that he has been able to dominate the Masters over the last few years, you know, it's it's an incredible feat. And so you'd like to have, you know, kind of that grandmaster, that Jokimon uh, accomplishment to really use as a peg to say, like, this is what this is what makes this guy so incredible. I really like Jokimon. Jokimon's I hadn't said really I hadn't good. said it out loud before. <laughs> I had just written it, but now that I say it out loud, I really like it's it even great. more. It's pretty great. Dolgopolov, you mentioned, made semis here. Also, Andy Murray made semis after reaching winning Canada, which was a big win. We talked a little bit about on the live show, but live show was a lot of other things going on. So I think that all three of them are I think it's really a three horse race going into New York. I think I don't know how you separate them. I really don't. Djokovic, well, Djokovic Murray and Federer. Yeah, Who it's do you tough. think goes in ahead? Uh, I still think Novak goes in ahead. Okay. Um, I do. I mean, yeah, we have noticed, you know, a few little things where he maybe not isn't at his peak, but that's really minor. Um, I I still maintain what I've always maintained with respect to Roger seven matches best of five over two weeks it's it's tough for him so uh i'm not entirely sure that i i bank even though he is the informed guy yeah i would say so and then, informed and then andy so much de- is going to depend on the draw and i think that the draw will need to break his way just a little bit for him to get into that situation but i do think that his win over novak in the final in, in montreal i don't read a ton into that Um, I, I felt like that was not a great match from Novak. Um, and I don't think that Novak would replicate that sort of performance if the two were to meet in a final or a semifinal, the matchup between Murray and Federer is a tough one and and it's very 50, 50 and there's just something about it where Andy just gets hosed. And if you guys go back and watch that semifinal, just watch the point at six all in the tiebreaker in the second set. So freaking fluky, so fruit, like just an absolute shank from Roger Federer on the return that happens to be the most perfect return in the history of the world. Yeah. And that gave him the mini break that he was able to serve out. So, you know, the margins in that match were very slim, but but it just always seems like something goes Roger's way whenever those two uh, uh, lock horns. If you're Andy Murray, you're number three seed. Uh, he got knocked out from number two to three uh, with Roger winning today. Do you want to be on the Federer half or the Djokovic half in New York? I want to be on the Federer half. Yeah, me too. Because I, I think, think so. that there's more there's more of a chance that Federer won't be there. Exactly. That's exactly. My logic, yeah. Exactly. So we'll see. I mean, for all we know, we could get another Chilich Nishikori final. <laughs> you never know. Oh my gosh, have you guys been seeing like the um the U.S. Open like uh, commercials? Because Marin it's Chilich not is... it's not even a blink and you miss it. You don't see Marin Chilich. But like, there's like at least the one that I saw on ESPN today, like. Literally, it was, like, the side of his head for, like, 0.4 of a second. And, like, and then it moved on to, like, Serena and Rafa. And I've Novak seen one and, that he's yeah. more in. I've seen one that's okay. been shouting after he won. Okay. Um, yeah, but <clears throat> that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. We haven't had a, quote-unquote, arguable fluke slam winner. I guess, I mean, I remember the 2012 US Open people, someone asked the very first question Sam got, Sosa got, after she was coming yeah. at the Federal title, was, like, was this a fluke? And... I don't think it was. It was kind of out of nowhere, but not really a fluke. There's a difference. Chilich has not backed it up whatsoever. 
we'll see how he does. I hope he does well. I think he's just a really, really likable guy, and he played amazing tennis, and I hope that he can get some of that again at some point. But there's no reason to think it'll it be next week It would be nice for Marin Cilic to do something to make us remember that he's the U.S. Open champion, or that he won the U.S. Open, and he really hasn't done that over the last he makes semis to be amazing. 12 months. Yeah, I mean, just something. Even if you would, like make a final of a Masters or yeah. win a match, just something to where, like, you know, you feel like, isn't, am I wrong, or has Chilich never won a 500? I don't think you're wrong. No, he made the Washington final this year. That was pretty good. He, no, sorry, he made the semis, lost in Shikori. Because um, I he, feel like he, he was, like, the king of two, like, all of his titles were, like, Zagreb 250s. Yeah, he's kind of like a rich man, Sam Quarry. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, that was not meant to be mean. <laughs> Quarry has more titles than a lot of people. Quarry got titles, yo. Quarry does. Quarry used to have that thing where he would win a title in the tournament and go out of business. Yeah. Yeah, that was his thing. That was his thing. Um, other men's stories before we move on to the ladies. I should mention Nick Kyrgios. That thing has not been resolved as of recording this. I would be surprised at this point if... The ATP's quote-unquote investigation got a result before the U.S. Open gets underway. If I had to guess if they are going to give any supplemental discipline, I'm guessing it'll be like the day after he gets eliminated from the U.S. Open. If I had to guess. And that's just pure, pure guess. But if they want to bury it, that's how you do it. Yeah, that's how you that's how you bury it PR-wise. I mean, I still maintain that if they do give him anything, it's just going to be a money fine. I would be shocked if they give him like an actual suspension. But We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Wait a minute. Update. On Monday, ATP did announce their decision on the Nick Kyrgios case, giving him essentially probation, saying that if he accumulates more than $5,000 in fines over the next six months at ATP events, he will get a 28-day suspension and a $25,000 fine. Also, if he gets any fines for verbal abuse or physical abuse during those ATP tournaments during this stretch. So we'll see how strict the chair empires are on him back to the parking lot. So that was an interesting scene for him. Uh, he lost to Gasquet. Uh, he got a medical timeout early and didn't put up much of a fight. Got uh, lost in 54 minutes or something. 55, I want to say. 2-1 and one to Gasquet, who he's gone to obviously very close sets matches with at Wimbledon last and couple of years. I will add this. Overheard in the press room moment... As Nicholas Kyrgios is getting his medical timeout, and it was for his back, and so the physio was like working on his back. Overheard in the press room was, "Oh, it's a knife! Please, like, pull it out! I've been stabbed." <laughs> Which made me laugh a little. It's pretty funny. The whole thing, the whole thing is a distraction, and I really hope the ATP, yeah, just ends it somehow. It's in their, it's involves very much in their court. If they, even if they just announce there'll be no further punishment. It just needs to end. needs to end. And for everyone involved, it's it's not fair to Nick. It's not fair to Stan. It's not fair to Donna. It's not fair to anyone, you know. So, and and, and until it gets resolved, because people have to remember, okay, this happened up in Montreal where there wasn't a ton of, like, tennis beat reporters that happened. And then, you know, there's a continued kind of follow-up here in Cincinnati where, again, not a ton of people fly to cover this tournament. But when it gets to New York, all of these players will have to be asked the exact same questions that they've been asked the last two weeks, they're going to get incredibly annoyed that they have to answer them all again. Yeah. Um, and I I could be wrong, but it is, it's going to be the first time that Nick has to face Aussie press. That's right. There'll be Aussie press in, yeah. uh, so, for sure. And he hasn't done that 
uh, no Aussie press really travels. So I was doing a bunch of stuff for uh, Aussie press here, which was nice to get, I guess. And um, although it was exhausting, the whole thing made the week more exhausting for me just because. And then you had the Kokanakis drama with Harrison, which we didn't really talk about on the last show, which was a whole thing. Uh, and it, I really am still like mad at myself, not myself, just the universe for having my camera run out, my iPhone run out of memory like five seconds away from Ryan Harrison saying that he should, Wawrinka should have decked Kyrgios and I should deck this guy. Because it would have gone like That would have been your viral moment. That would have been big if that had got put on tape. So luckily for Ryan, it didn't. Although I think Ryan kind of stands by it. I think Ryan totally stands by it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I talked to him afterwards and he, yeah, he was just saying, he was, as always, people people sort of, you know, I I wrote in the story that he's like compelling and people thought that was ridiculous to say. But Ryan Harrison, like, you don't have to be a great tennis player to be compelling. Yeah, It's a different, totally different, uh, spheres of adjectives um and he's he is he's a he's an interesting guy he lost to tiafo today wins the sailing qualifying so he's not doing great but he has usf and wild card we'll see anyway that whole thing was a mess um and kalkanakis i think for a little bit got unfairly lumped in there but he did distance himself from it which is good i think tennis players should be distancing themselves from nikirios now i'm not going to mention any names of anybody who maybe shouldn't be not distancing themselves, but I think if you're paying any attention, you should know who I'm talking about, and I'm very disappointed <laughs> that she's doing this. <laughs> Madison Keys. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't stop yourself. I no. was like, is he really not going to say her name? No, just I just think it's a bad look right now. Anyway, but you do what you want. It's your life. Um, yeah, I think the whole thing needs to. I'm on ATP to. I'll, I will keep nagging them about this. I asked them at the same time about the Stakovsky quote-unquote investigation, and still no word on that either. So just stay tuned, you guys. Don't hold your breath, though, because you, you will die. <laughs> um, other men's stories that happened? Rafa? Uh, Rafa, yeah, Rafa is still not doing great. Mediocre results for Rafa, losing third set tiebreak to Feliciano Lopez. Um, he was a little bit more... He played better. He was better. He's getting better, but that's not saying a whole lot. I mean, he's getting steadily better, but it's coming from such a low place. Um, it's a low threshold He will not win the U.S. Open, I can say with pretty good confidence, which yeah. will mean this will be the first year uh, since 2005 that he won't win a major. Oh, wow. Um, so that's coming up on the horizon. Get ready for that stat. That's going to be... Yeah, get ready for that story to yeah, hit. Yeah, so... He's just, nothing's going on. But I will say, he is getting a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say defiant, because it's not really, I, he could be defiant, I guess, but he's getting a little bit more, um, what's the word for it, uh, standing up for himself a bit more, and he was doing yeah, a little bit, he was doing, a, he was like, doing a little not, bit more, like, yeah, resume recitation Yeah, he's, he's defending him. Yeah, defensive uh, maybe is a word for it. Yeah, defensive doesn't really... Maybe defiant. I, maybe defiant. I word. think defiant is a good way. Because he was saying afterwards, like at the end of his press, he was like, first of all, I talked about all the trophies he has in his bedroom, how his bedroom has more trophies than anybody's bedroom except for one guy. Um, so they're in his bedroom apparently. Uh, and he was saying that uh, he's going to be, he's gonna, he's gonna be back. Well, anyways, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, and trophies. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was saying that he's going to be back, and you know, very Terminatorish. I'll be back, and it was it was good to see that he has some fight left in him because you never know with like these guys when they have a precipitous fall the flame can burn out like you even saw it with somebody on a le- on a lower scale like andy roddick when andy roddick no longer thought that he could win grand slams and he held on to that belief for a while which he should have because he kept making deep runs when he no longer felt he had it in him he stopped yep. at 30 which it's a really which is early retirement by this era standards um, Rafa, I think, will be the same way. I think Rafa doesn't need to hang around and exist on tour. Rafa will not be Leighton Hewitt. Yeah. 
no way. He's too good for that. So we'll see. And I don't think it's going to happen um, in New York, but I think he can very much make London, which he says is a stated goal. Yeah. If he goes 0-3 in group, then who knows? And he very well could because he's not beating great players. I don't know. I think it's a, a messy time for Rafa. He just sort of has to grit and bear it for the next while and then hope next clay season is his big revival. Yep. That's about it. Ladies? Hey, ladies. Serena Williams going into New York for the Grand Slam, you may have heard. Kind of went all <laughs> four in a year. And five in a row, which also hasn't been in a long time. That's also a pretty good feat. I was talking to Patrick Mortago today, and he was saying that he thinks the five in a row is a much bigger deal than the calendar slam. Um, just because he thinks the time is arbitrary and winning four in a row doesn't matter when you do it. Yeah, no, that's fair. I totally get that. She won she Cincinnati won. after losing to Belinda Bencic, which we can talk about where we didn't really talk about that too much on the last show. Her loss to Bencic. Um, Bencic won Toronto and then pulled out of the third round here uh, after one, on an eight-match win streak. Worn out some forearm pain. And Lucy Safarova forced her out. But anyway, so she was out. Serena wins over Halep in the final after a bunch of slow starts at this event. Came back every single time. Did a Serena, as she said. She's your champion. Courtney, what is the state of Serena? I think she's in a good spot. I mean, I think that what is always what is incredibly impressive about Serena is is that even when she's not playing her best, it doesn't matter. That she can get these wins that she can beat, you know, who the woman who will on Monday be the number two player in the world, Simona Halep, and beat her arguably relatively handily. Second set went to a tie break and it was fairly close, but, you know, she, you kind of, it was never in doubt. You you always knew that Serena was going to find a way to elevate and, and yeah. to take things forward. And, you know, some of that is matchup based and some of that's just, you know, knowing the level that Serena can hit. She hasn't hit her best on the hard courts this summer. Hasn't necessarily needed to. No. Um, and you know that she can continue to peak. And as opposed to Roger, who peaks a little too early, uh, Serena spent a lot of her time in press this week kind of discussing the idea of, like, peaking at the right time. That she doesn't want to be playing her best tennis here in Cincinnati. Now, how much of that is, like, you know, kind of her own mental PR spin to kind of make the fact that, <laughs> you know, she was not playing particularly well kind of, like, you know, more palatable to herself. I love this notion of mental PR. It's been, like, you have, she has a mental press core in there, like, asking her questions that she's Oh, for sure. By. I think yeah. that she does. I mean, I think that, you know, I think, I, I mean, I, I just think that she has to work very hard mentally to deal with what's about to happen in New York. I gotta and, say, uh, she was remarkably loose this week. No, she was. She was. And I think that so much of that goes towards, you know, Ben, you asked her in her final press conference, you know, are you ready for New York? Are you kind of ready for it all to be over? And she absolutely bought into that. of just like, let's go. Let's do this. And I totally get that. I'm like, who cares about Toronto and Cincinnati with all due respect? You know, like, if I'm Serena Williams, I'm like, let's go. Let's go. I got seven matches, and I want this done. Because... I don't get the sense this is very fun for her right now. You know, I mean, having to deal with all the questions and the pressure and the expectations and trying to manage it all, um, maybe to chase something that maybe other people want more than you even do. I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to kind of, you know, find the, 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 the truth in what Serena says sometimes. She but, might not know. Yeah, she might not know how much she wants it until she gets it or doesn't get it, right? I think it, everything, it'll be game on once New York hits, once yeah. she gets in the first round and plays... Whatever poor soul is drawn into that atmosphere on the Arthur Ashe night session, I'm sure it will be one. 
uh, for that match. Yeah. And it'll be pretty cool. And we were seeing the next question I think we'll go to. You got anything on Halep before we get to more Um, I mean, I was incredibly impressed with Simona Halep this week. And and also in Toronto, too. Yeah, because you spent a lot of time with her. I I mean, there's no player that I've spent more time with in the last two weeks than Simona. Um, But just kind of... And, I mean, even over the course of her, you know, resurgence in her career, I mean, I've been in, I've talked to her a lot, many times, in good times and in bad. And, you know, she's such a mental player. I mean, so much of it is just between her ears um, in terms of how she, how well she's able to execute. And I think that for her, this these last couple of weeks, especially coming off of her long break after Wimbledon, um, she, I think that she really did prove to herself something these, these last two weeks. I mean... She arrived in, in Cincinnati, and I think that the, the general kind of consensus or logic was like, pull out of Cincy. I mean, yeah. you just had, you know, heat illness on Sunday. She was telling press on Monday she was still having stomach cramps and after effects of, of dealing with that um, that uh, kind of physiological stress. Um, but for her to play through, and again, didn't play her best in the beginning, had to fight through a couple of th- tough three-set matches against Mladenovic and then Pekovic. And then found her game against Yankovic. That Pekovic match was a war. It was a war, an absolute battle. Um, But then found her game against Yankovic, lost just three games to her in the semifinals. That was stunning. It was pretty stunning. And and you could tell, I mean, she was buoyant after that win. I mean, she she was practically hopping into press. I mean, she was so happy, not because of the win, but because she finally played the way that she knows that she can play. And then against Serena, it's against Serena. And I I do think that Simona does have a mental block there um, because she is one of those players who kind of brings up this uh, this idea of belief a lot when questions are put to her about having to play Serena. And um, so, you know, that that's up to her, and maybe that'll take time for her to kind of believe that she can she can do something against Serena. But, um, but yeah, I, I just think it's great that she, she gets the number two ranking. She'll be number two seed. Um, and I just really think that it's a cool thing to um, have, you know, Serena and Simone at the top of the rankings. I think it's just like a cool kind of picture like these are the two women it's a dichotomy yeah these are even though serena didn't want to buy into that uh but i thought serena did i think serena thought Mm. she she you asked that question of is it cool for women's tennis that these two players who go about their tennis very different ways on court serena and simona um are atop and she was like yeah i think she yeah no she bought into that but then she was like i don't think we play that different um which i I was like what um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's very cool look for, for women's tennis to have the both of them up, up, up top there. And, um, the same way it was cool when the biggest rivalry was Serena and Justine. Yeah. I mean, when you have uh, this thing that shows that, you know, it doesn't matter what size you are or that you can be smaller and make it work. That is one of the really cool things about tennis. Is tennis yeah. is not the NBA. You don't have to clear a certain height that's absurd or something to be a relevant tennis player. You don't you don't have to do that, and that's pretty yeah. pretty cool. And those two players totally represent it. Very different, uh, yeah, skill sets. Very different uh, weapons. Very different body types. Yeah. All that stuff is pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I think it's pretty cool indeed. It is, and I mean now going into New York and thinking about what it all means. I mean Ben and I had a pretty fun conversation at dinner before we got here. Um, which we can rehash. Which we can rehash. Which one do you want to rehash? Well, let's start with the first part, which we're just very pragmatically wondering. This will be our last show before the draw comes out in yeah. New York. We'll do a draw show also. But we're just wondering who can beat Serena. Yeah. Or even if nobody can or nobody would be expected to. There's nobody who's... The, let's very clear with the first part. Yeah. There is nobody who will be the favorite against Serena Williams, which is not always the case. Like, there is usually some person out there who is like a 50 50 match for any given player at, at you know at worst 
Serena doesn't even have that. Yeah. She's going to be favored against everybody. Everybody. So, who would she least want to play? The seven the players who... This was this was the question I posed to Ben at dinner. Name the seven players that would be Serena's nightmare draw. So, in no particular order. Just cause yeah, I don't yeah, think, sure. No, it we're gonna, we're going to make sure we pick two people who would be unseated. But beyond that, right. uh, we won't do any particular order. The first one, as I scroll... I get through the whole top ten before anybody really jumps out at me, which just says a lot, I think. Um, the only the one who jumps at me most in the top ten, honestly, and I don't know why, is Ivanovich. Ivanovich has played her well uh, at times. She returns Serena's serve really well. Yeah. And Serena is having She gets a good problem. read on that she gets serve. Her, she reads the serve really impressive. well. She can tee off on it. She was up 2-0 in the third set here. That was Serena's toughest match in Cincinnati was against Ivanovich. Um, she beat her at a slam before, so that's a good amount of belief within the last two years, too. Uh, so that's pretty decent for Anna. Uh, the next name is kind of obvious, Belinda Benchich, just because she beat her last time. Uh, so there's some ghosts there. And then, uh, so that's two. The third name I'll put out there is Stoser. Done it before. She's beaten her several times, Samantha Stoser. And it's always a tough, it's always a tough matchup. Yeah, the conditions clearly work for her. It'll be ghosts of, it'll be on Ash. It, this is the thing, past. is like, as we were reeling off names, it was so much of us like the ghosts of Serena's past. Oh, totally. Like, you know? Totally. Next up is Vika. Obviously, Vika's pushed her hard at two slams. Vika, uh, we'll see. Vika's uh, going to be seated. There's no pullouts, I don't think. So she'll be seated 21, which means she wouldn't play Serena before the fourth round. Uh, she played in the third round of Paris. Um, Vika's been hurt, though. Yeah. Vika, yeah, it's not been looking great. So this, is, she... this is the thing, too, is like you look towards New York. On any given year, even if everyone's healthy, you're already saying all the things that we're saying, which is that she's the favorite, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you're talking about a very limpy crew of top players yeah. going into New York outside of Serena. So you're talking about, I mean, obviously we already know like Sharapova and Serena and whatever, but Maria is dealing with a leg injury. Waz is dealing with a leg injury or illness. So Petra is dealing with illness. Um, there's so many, Vika dealing with something yeah. as well. The, those players that you would kind of, the big names that you would expect to kind of be there late, we don't have any guarantees that they're going to be there. No. And so it's, 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 it's hard to see some, the, like an upset actually happening. So other names, I'm just going to sort of speed through them because we only have one seed left in my counting system, but there's a couple who I think could deserve this spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sabine Lisicki is at 23. She's beaten her before, again, beaten her before at a slam within the last, uh, couple years, 2013 Wimbledon. Sabine is somebody who would not be daunted by the stage. Sabine yeah, has this belief yeah. that, again, the odds that she even plays Sabine at the U.S. Open are low. Um, but Sabine has this belief that she sort of belongs belongs and deserves this. And she's and a stage that's player. kind of rare. Yeah, totally. Um, Alexei Cornet, she'll play third round. That's a 27 seed, getting lower. Uh, three and three against Serena. Demons, demons, demons. Uh, Sloan at 30 is playing really well right now. Really, and really has well. Been able to push her. And has pushed Serena at slams before, beaten her obviously in Australia. Pushed her well at the French this year. Just won a title. She's Usually playing well. Usually plays a good single set and then loses that set and kind of goes away as Sloan Stevens. But that single set, she's able to get Serena to 7 5, 7 6. And the ultimate wild card at 31, Camilla Georgie. That's just, that, that's, that, oh God, I don't want any part of that. No that one would wants be a, a part of Georgie. That would be a mess. In yeah. terms of unseated, there are two right outside the unseated, outside the cut. They jump out at me, 36 and 37. Gavrilova and Nicolescu, I think both are tricky and undesirable. Going lower, Schmiedlova has been playing well at 41. Mm, don't, I don't see Nicolescu and Schmiedlova being an issue at all. No, but we're getting, but that's the thing. Which, and there's no other names that really jump out at us later. Poots. Are there? <laughs> Why don't you mention Poots? Do you really think Could Poots you guys could... even imagine? Dude, I mean, 
Talk about I don't know, but like talk about getting up for it and like going for it and like wanting to be the stopper. Poots. Poots would be. Although so much I of won't... this is mental because there are players whose like games maybe like are greater match up or like we were talking about a Madison Keys for example. Yeah. Like sure, Madison has the tools to do it, but does she have the the belief? Does she want to be that person? No, I don't, I don't think, so. think that she necessarily does. You know. The poots brings up and the other person I will say just a pure hitter who will just like swing for the fences and make it or not is Guy Silva. That could be a, I, could, I mean, obviously she's one in 96 chance of drawing Serena first round. Why not? It could happen. Uh, yeah, but Poots, let's mention Poots. Poots played Coco Vandeweghe in the first round of Cincinnati. Poots was a qualifier. Coco wildcard. Highly anticipated. Kind of a flop. Yeah, no, we and talked that, about this no, on the live show. There were no fireworks. Yeah, we did. But I just thought I'd mention it again in this context. I did talk to both of them after I wrote a profile of Coco. Yeah, well, anyway, the part that I didn't get into before, because I think I hadn't written the story yet, was about Poots just saying that Coco had called her a, and I quote, fucking bitch, and they played in Brussels a couple years ago. Uh, Coco denies this, and Poots says that Coco was fined $5,000 for this uh, outburst. Uh, WT has no record of this, nor does Coco remember it. So Poots is not a reliable narrator, but she would be a fun, fun Serena opponent. Yeah, just put her on that stage. Also, similar vein, Krunich. Oh, that'd be fun. Although yeah. she'd get blasted to hell. She would. But serve would not. You know, no. She'd get eaten up. Remember, she's got fourth round to defend Krunich. Yeah, she does. That was cool. So, yeah. So, that that conversation and our real reaching at straws to find a Serena challenge brings us to the next question, which is, with Serena going for the slam and winning everything in sight, being whatever in two this year, can we say this is a weak era? Whatever that means. Is this a weak era at Miss Tennis? Is it a fair question? It's a fair question, and I will say what I told Ben at dinner, which is that I could say that it is not, because if you take Serena out of the equation and you look at the rest of the the remaining players, it's actually an incredibly compelling tour. You know, you're talking Sharapova, Halep, Wozniacki, Azarenka, uh, Ivanovic. I mean, you have like a bunch of Kvitova, a bunch of players Muguruza. who are Muguruza, who are worthy slam champions. I don't think that they're not worthy slam champions. And then a, a nice young crew that's coming up and kind of making a bit of a name for themselves. So I think that it's actually a very competitive era, um, just that Serena is that much better than everyone else. As opposed to, in the example that I pulled out at dinner, was that you compare the Roger Federer dominant years, the pre-Rafa years. Of 406. Yeah, of 406. You take Roger out of that and you look 407. at... 407. Yeah, 07. If you take Roger out of it and you look at the remaining crew you're talking about Roddick and Hewitt pretty much outside of that and Rafa and Clay and Rafa and Clay but like I, to me like I think that like this now everything's relative you can say it's weaker than some other era and stronger than some era, other era but that was the argument that I made to Ben was that like that to me in terms of my logic to me like that's a weaker era uh that Federer era which doesn't take anything away from Roger because we all watched him play and we we're like, you're so freaking good at tennis. And same thing with Serena. It's like, you're so much better and that shouldn't be a knock against everyone else what because I think, everyone else is very What good. I think makes it a strong era, and I agree that there's a huge gap between one and two right now. For like sure. we haven't seen in a while. However, the rest of it, like everybody in the top 25, let's yeah. say, 25 is a plausible top tenner. Yep. Like, you know, if they, you heard they were in the top 10, you'd be like, oh, okay. Like we're talking about from 25 backwards, Yankovic, Bouchard, Starts obviously falling, but she's still in there. Uh, Lasicki, Venus, Azarenka, Svitolina, Keys, Stoser, Pekovic, Irani, Radvanska, Bachinski, Makarova, Benchich, Kerber, 
those are the ones outside top ten. Mm-hmm. That's those are all top those ten are all caliber legit, players, those are, and those are all good players. Like yeah. you wouldn't sit there and be like that player shit. Like the only reason that they're up there is because there's nobody else that's good, you know. No. And I think that that's a definition of a weak era. Is like when you start looking and you look outside of that top five and top ten, and you have a bunch of players where you're like, yeah, those players are not as good as their ranking, but their yeah. ranking is inflated because there's just nobody good ahead of them. Like, that's where I would define a weak era era. And I don't know, like, once we started talking about it, I was like, oh, my God, and this is not a knock against Serena at all. But I'm like, God, what would this tour look like without Serena? I'm like, that's a compelling tour. We'll have it eventually. Yeah, it'll happen eventually. But I was like, wow, like, that's, it's actually, I never thought of it that way. But I was like, that's actually really, really interesting. And it's in better shape than it was in 2011. Yes. Yes. uh, When Serena was mostly out, coming back for the second half of that year, but not at full And better than it was in 2008 when Justine walked away. Yeah, no, totally. Totally agree on both those points. So. so we're doing pretty well. It's getting pretty hot in this car. Yeah, it really is, and it's getting close to movie time as well. So let's close out with a rant. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Mating. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter, at NCR underscore tennis. NCR underscore tennis. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. I'm trying to get some more Facebook content. I feel like we can do more with that. That'll be good. If you want to subscribe to us uh, to get shows delivered automatically, you can do so on iTunes or put our RSS feed or whatever into your podcast app of choice. We would love to have you there. If you have questions for an upcoming show, and we'll do a lot of questions probably, I'm guessing, after the uh, US Open, but more. Maybe if you have draw questions when the draw comes out, we'll take those too. Uh, send them to no challenge submitting at gmail.com or tweet them to us pretty close to showtime because otherwise they get kind of buried for us those are great and yeah let's do the rant rave situation courtney i'm gonna let you go first while i wet my brow god it's so hot in here it's really hot um my rant slash rave is going to be a rave um good job applebee's (laughs) because this year i was bummed to see the fajitas were gone, which were my go-to staple uh-huh. all the time. Uh, but instead, they've improved their burgers. And the American Standard Burger was legit good, I have to say. And the key, I must say, and I don't know if this applies to all Applebee's across the nation or just in Mason, but make sure you ask for them not to salt the fries. If you ask them to do this, they will actually make you brand new fries. And they won't be too salty because Applebee's has a tendency to be a little bit salty for my taste. And I have a salt tooth. So it's saying a lot if something's too salty. A heavy hand on the salt. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it was really, really good. I actually, like, enjoyed eating it. And normally in the past, I have kind of reluctantly eaten at Applebee's. But this year, because of the American Standard Burger, I enjoyed it. It almost weirdly tasted not as good, but it was in the same vein as an In-N-Out Burger. And I appreciated that. Whoa. No, just in the same vein. I know, but salt invoking that comparison is impressive that's a whoa moment for me this was good um i went there more than you this year i think and it was good had some classic moments like like feliciana lopez beats rafa and can't get a table running into simona halep after she beat uh, yelena yankovic Simona halep was there for post semi celebrations um and darren cahill was there getting her take out the next night too so um i must have been actually be pekovic actually now i think anyway uh oh and also if i could i just want to rave against uh, rave for Darren Cahill being Simona Halep's coach because his coaching timeouts were on fleek and I adore them as a little coaching uh, protege team. I'm going to ignore you saying on fleek, but I will say that I professionally ship them. I think they're so good together. <laughs> they're they're so pretty great. great. They're yeah. pretty great. Okay. My rant, rave, 
is for... Oh, I'll just do a general one for this tournament. I will rave about Cincinnati as a tournament all day long. I think it's tremendous. I think it's still a hidden gem of a place. It's at a time of year and people are distracted by the Open, and it's in a not as exotic or desirable, honestly, location as uh, Indian Wells, and people complain about the humidity. But if you just like tennis and want to see tennis in its purest, like, up-close, no... Uh, bells and whistles form this is the place to go agreed this is like the place to go i totally think it should be a destination tournament you can go it's cheap yep you go you can see the practice courts great access practice courts you You can come and get a selfie with simona Halep as she's trying to eat her food at applebee's people did that people all of the players are here like pretty much every year the tennis has been great yeah ninja cory wasn't here this year but other than that it's been great the staff is friendly the food on site's really good yep great food options I think this tournament's pretty swell. I've done this tournament six times now, more than any other tournament outside Washington, which I just grew with as, as press. Eh, as press to Washington more, but I grew up in Washington. Cincinnati is pretty darn cool. Highly recommend. Yay, Cincinnati. Yay, Mason, Ohio. Don't knock it till you try it. And uh, that's about it. Yep. We'll see you guys next time in New York. Crazy New York. See you there. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. Alright. Bye guys. Let's Bye. get out of this car. Oh my fucking god. I feel god, like a so hot, hot boiling oh. dog. Ugh. Glorious Cincinnati, queen of Ohio's Alpine Ski Resorts. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati. The best town in Ohio, USA. At first they called it Cincy, but since Cincy is so natty, they named it Cincinnati, so they say. Girls are pretty, pretty in this gritty little city. The fellers are the feistiest I've seen. And when it comes to ball teams, the Reds and the Bengals mall teams. They knock the socks off all teams on a green. I mean, truth argues indefensible. The facts are common sense of all Cincinnati's at the center.